In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll continue the book of First Samuel. And we said the book of First Samuel represents an important transition in the Jewish life. We go from a period where Israel was controlled by judges to a period where Israel is controlled by kings. And we will see later that they have rejected God as their king and they wanted to live like a worldly kingdom with an actual human king. Last time we talked about the beginning of the birth of Samuel and how Elkanah, a man, had two wives and we spoke about why having two wives was not the purpose that God meant it for humanity at the beginning. And the two wives, Hannah and Penina, and Penina was giving Hannah a hard time because she did not bear children. And we saw that Hannah chose the path of giving her complaint to God. She did not try to use the idea that her husband loves her and try to tease or annoy her uh, Penina, her, his, her, her, uh, her other, his other wife, but she chose the path of saying, you know what, I will go to God. And last time we saw when Hannah was praying in the temple, Eli the priest, at that point we would consider him the judge, he thought she was drunk. And we said that this is a reflection of the spiritual state of the people at that time. If the priest who sits in the temple all day long, when he sees a woman praying, his first thought goes that she is drunk, it means most people at that time did not respect the temple. And I give you example of Isaiah and Judges, Isaiah 28 and Judges 9, where people used to use similar practices that would offer to the pagans in the temple. They would come to the temple drunk. So this shows that even in the midst of an evil time and an evil generation, a mother can be more faithful than those who are running the temple. A mother can be more faithful than those who are running the temple. And we also, by the way, when we're talking about the temple, the temple of Solomon is not built yet. We're talking about the, the tent of covenant. At, earlier, because they were moving from one place to another, which is simply a tent, and the temple was built on the same structure. Now we're gonna go from verse, uh, first chapter, verse 13. So Eli thought she was drunk. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. In the Old Testament, there's a difference between wine and intoxicating drinks. Wine was usually very diluted and it did not get people drunk unless you consume huge amount. But intoxicating drinks were drinks that are concentrated and used to get people drunk. So this is the difference between drinking a wine at a wedding and purposely trying to get drunk. But she told him, She's speaking to the priest, the high priest, who accused her of being drunk. What did she tell him? 
Tell him, no, my Lord, I'm not drunk. You see, this is the spirit of somebody who's praying. They're able to take the most aggressive accusation with a lot of humility and a lot of love. You should not tell him, you should not tell people this. You should make sure first, you should confirm, why are you accusing, why are you judging me? None of that stuff. With great humility, that's why God heard her prayer, because she was a humble woman. She told him, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. I poured out my soul before the Lord. Everything that was in her heart, she poured out to God without saying words. It's almost like a heart-to-heart -heart connection. In the presence of God, and she opened her heart and let God in. Do not consider your maid servant a, a wicked woman. Wow, she's talking about herself as a... Do not consider you're a slave girl. I, I'm for you, you're a high priest. And I'm, I'm a slave girl. A wicked servant. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. She's telling him, I am in a very, in a very deep state of prayer where my, my grief and my complaint have made me in a state where I don't realize what's happening around me. Tears are coming out, her lips are moving, words are not coming out. It's a very intense moment. That's why prayer is not only words. We call it a state of prayer. Sometimes somebody will be sitting in silence and they will be praying. Somebody will be serving and they will be praying. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and God of Israel grants your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maid servant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She told him, eh, Let your maid servant find favor in your sight. What is she asking? Yani, pray for me. Bless me. Later on, we will find that Eli was not, he was a good high priest, but he was not a good father. And everybody knew about the corruption that he was doing in the altar. Not for a second, she thought she was better than Eli. Not for a second, she thought that Eli cannot bless her. The worst thing is when I go to church and I think I am better than others. Or I put people's sins in front of my own eyes. Even if the sins are very well known. Look what happens here. This is where I want to spend some time. After she finished her prayer, what did she do? She ate and drank and went home. What, what, what does that mean? That she ate and drank and her face was no longer sad. Look, I don't know of Hannah was 100% confident that God will give her a child. But she was 100% confident that God heard her prayer. She was 100% confident that God heard her prayer and heard her voice.
And regardless of the outcome, she trusted in who God is. She reminds me of the three young men when they were going to throw them into the fire. They told them, look, God is able to save us. But if he doesn't save us, we want you to know that God of Israel is a true God. Her trust is not in the outcome. Her trust is in who God is. One of the things that weakens our humility in front of God is I trust the outcome. I don't trust the nature of God. If the outcome does not fit what I have requested, then God is, God is, is either unfair or doesn't exist or all that nonsense. She left confident. God heard her prayer. In who God is, he will take care of it. And she left. She left in victory. And I wish for us, even when we pray, I wish when we leave, we leave in victory. Because I know God heard me. Then they rose early in the morning. This is Elkanah and, her, and his family. They come to Jerusalem to worship. So they are in Jerusalem. They spend the night. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord in the temple. And returned and came to their house at Ramoth. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife. And the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Next morning, she worshipped. You might say, what's the difference between her prayer the night before and the worship? The prayer that she prayed, she poured her heart to God. Worship is simply, I tell God, God, I love you. I want to spend time with you. I want to praise you. I want to thank you. Our worship has been weakened because most of our prayer is focused on our own requests. And we forgot the times when we need to give glory to God and to praise His name. Look, the Bible said, eh, and the Lord remembered her. I want to explain to you the word remember. Because you know sometimes you hear a woman in the, in the liturgy says, hey, Oh Lord, remember this, remember, right? remember this. Remember. What does the word remember mean? It does not mean God forgave. It means that the word is asking for God to initiate a major new activity of a covenant making. Initiate a new activity of a covenant making. God, I want a new covenant from you, a new promise from you. I want something special from you. So it's not God has forgotten us, but we're asking for a new contract, new deal. That's what we're asking for. New covenant, new promise. And she called him someone because she said, I asked from God. You see, when, uh, a lot of times when, when God gives us without pushing the, the brake, we forget Him. But when we pray, we remember that everything we receive is from Him. That's why she called Him, I asked from God. Every time she calls His name, 
she will remember that this child was a gift from God. Imagine if you call your car Samuel, right? It's something I asked from God and he gave me. Everything you have is given to you from God. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. So you guys know we said every year they go and worship. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Obviously, Elkanah as a husband, he's a righteous man. Because according to the law, you see this in Numbers 30 from 10 to 15, his wife made a vow about a child without asking him. So he has the right to say, you know what? I don't care about your vow. You, did, you vowed behind my back. It doesn't count. But he respected her vow. And Hannah is a beautiful mother because she said, you know what? I will not go to Jerusalem unless I bring the gift that God has given me in a full state ready to offer it. I will not go to Jerusalem empty-handed. The next time I go to God, it will be a celebration. It will be a big event because I will fulfill the vow that God has given me. And this is, by the way, one of the beautiful images of a father and a mother offering their son to God. Abraham is not the only one who offered Isaac. Hannah and Elkanah offered their son to God. They give their child when he's 33 years old to God. And she told him, I'm going to make him stand before the face of God. He would live there forever. What does that remind you of? Moses. He spoke with God as a man speaks with him. He spoke to him face to face. She knew what she's setting her child up for. What she's setting her child up for. It's important for us as parents, as servants, to not give our children only what entertains them, but to give them the spiritual food. A lot of parents, for example, care about what their children drink, eat, the video games they have, the playstations they have. I don't want my child to be missing anything. What about the, the connection with God? The core. Eternity. Do I care for that as much or no? It says, now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bowls and one eff of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord, for they, for they worship the Lord there. 
in the Old Testament, the first child, the first male child, always belongs to God. What usually they do is they come at uh, when the when the male child when the male child reaches a month of age, they redeem him with five uh, five shekels. So the parents have different options: either to redeem the child after one month with five shekels, or they allow the child to serve for a period of years. Or what Hannah did, she makes him as a Nazarite serves the God forever. By the way, the Bible is the, the sacrifice they had to offer is a bull, but then they brought in so many things. They brought in like a, a an aff of flour, a skin of wine. These are the amount enough to slaughter three bulls, not one. But the Bible is talking about how they were so happy when they are giving their child to God. So they came and they chose the strictest path for dedication to God and they came with the greatest celebration to give their child to God. You know like when a child for example becomes a monk, I guess he's going to be a grown man or a woman, become a nun, a lot of times the parents are crying and sad. Right here, the mom is celebrating. Bringing lots, lots, lots of food, lots, lots, lots of gifts. The joy of offering the person to God. The joy of offering the person to God. And she said, I lent him to the Lord all his life. It means that this woman also believed in eternal life. Believed in the life to come. When Hannah went to give her child to the temple, what did Hannah do? She sang a song. She went to celebrate. If you, if you ask any of the mothers, for example, the first day they leave their child in a daycare, especially if it's their first child, what do they usually do? The mother cries and the child cries. She's going to pick him up in eight hours or five hours, right? But everybody's emotional because the first day to leave my child in the daycare. This woman came to leave her son forever, three years old. And her reaction was rejoicing, happy. She blows my mind away. Unless this woman is so aware of the facts of the spiritual life, she could not do this. She's thanking God, God, thank you for you have listened to me. Thank you for you have allowed me to fulfill the, the vow. And this is why the prayer of Saint Mary was very similar to the prayer of Hannah. Saint Mary received the child of Lord Jesus Christ and he was an ultimate sacrifice to God on the cross. When we look at the song of Hannah, we're going to go through it now in chapter 2. The song is about 10 verses. And the 10 verses fluctuates between two ideas. God changing human condition and then who God is. God changes human condition and then who God is. God changing human condition and who God is. These are nine verses. Right? And then the last verse, she prophesies about a king that is coming. That is the song of Hannah the prophet. So the song tells God, God, there is nobody like you. 
You're omnipotent, omnipresent. You're in control of everything. You control the creature. My heart and my soul rejoices in you. Her whole song is somebody who's singing with victory. I was reading Kida, one of the saints, she said something beautiful. She said, when we stand in front of God, we should stand with a smile. We come to God often with our problems, our sadness, but when things are good, where is the rejoicing? Where is the celebration? She felt she was chosen. God answered my prayer. You guys, I'll tell you a story. Somebody recently had a, had a brain tumor. Two weeks ago. And then the mom called me and told me, Abuna, we need to pray. And then the day of the surgery, they went to do an MRI. The tumor disappeared. The mother called me and all what she checked all what she kept repeating, I don't deserve that God hears my prayer. I don't deserve that God hears my prayer. I don't deserve that God hears my prayer. Who am I that God hears my prayer? This is the soul, the, the, the humble heart that God loves. This God, when he came, he was humble. And that's the heart that is able to rejoice. People who are proud and prideful, they don't rejoice. They're very self-centered. Everything is an entitlement. Look at in the first verse she says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. I, I, can't, I can't believe it. My horn is exalted in the Lord. The, the horn of the animal is obviously the highest you know, point of the animal. And it represents the, the animal's strength and animal's pride. And the horn, the horn is usually a representation of, of childhood. Or this, is, this is your pride as a person. My horn is exalted in the Lord, not in my child. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. I smile at, I, at my enemies because I, I rejoice in your salvation. She's telling him, God... I cannot believe, I cannot believe that you have listened to me and right now my whole being is full of happiness and full of joy and I have nothing to complain about. And she's telling him, I smile at my enemies, by the way, she does not mean Panina. Last time I was telling you that the devil was trying to push her to judge and to hold grudges against against Panina but she did not so she smiles at the devil who wanted her to live a life of hatred and negativity and toxicity she smiles at him I will not live this lifestyle of jealousy and envy Guys, when a prayer like this is, is expressed, this is not somebody who is artificially talking. I've, I've met some people at moment in their life, they have seen our Lord Christ. And the joy they feel 
I tell him, did anything happen? Did he give you? She said, no, I just saw him. I heard him. Anything special? That's all what I needed. God knows me. Is this not enough? I cannot believe God that you heard my prayer. I cannot believe you're not. She tells him in verse 2, no one is holy like you. Holy is the best way we define God because holy means there's nobody like you. If you want to, you know, it's almost like if you want to describe something in medicine, you cannot describe it to say it's a chronic disease. You know, I don't know what it is. Holy is, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. There is none beside you. There is no, nor there is any rock like your, you, our God. I cannot depend on anyone else. You control everything. To you is grace and power. Why would I go to people? Why would I run to people for support? You are a rock. Rock means you're not changing. You're immovable. Your value and goodness are set. One of the things that sometimes makes us think or feel that God is unpredictable is because we're so interested in the outcome. But God is interested in changing you and me. He's interested in making you and me like Him. And that doesn't change. That fact does not change. She says, talk no more so very proudly. Now she's talking to her people. Somebody who just experienced the glory of God. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by Him actions are weighed. Now she's talking about God. Some people speak bad of God. Where is God? God, He doesn't listen. She says, if you think you're arrogant, you think you can do things on your own, be careful. Because God knows. God knows. And that's why it's important for us to understand that our God looks and gives every single person the same opportunities. A person who has resources and availability to establish a church and does it with great love could be equal to a widow in Africa who takes care of her child and does it with a great love. Our God, scale and standard are different than us. She said, do not depend on your own self, on your own resources. The bows of the mighty men are broken and those who are stumbled are girded with strength. She discovered these ideas in prayer. This is the same concept that our Lord said in, in Matthew. The first become last and last become first. And those who seek to save their lives, lose them. And those who are willing to lose their life, save them. This is what she said. Those who are the mighty men, their bows, their, their, their bows are broken. Their strength are nothing. I'll tell you guys, honestly, one of the things I, 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 I've seen a lot in the service is every single day, 
I get amazed at what people do behind the scenes. I have many people that call me, Abuna, I know this person in need, can you please go help them? Here is some money, help them. They're behind the scenes. A woman, for example, who's sick, you'll find a, a lady that volunteers to stay with her in the hospital for two or three or four days. Nobody knows anything about that. She leaves her children and her family and she goes and spends the night with a stranger woman to help her. People who come at days when nobody's around to clean the church. And they're very well-off people. People who adopted people from Egypt that had problems in Asia and brought them to America to take care of them. Every day we discover hidden mysteries in our church. Those who think they are servants and they are priests and they are great and they preach, it says the bow the the bows the the uh, the bows of the strong men are broken. Are broken. Those who were full have hired themselves out of for bread. It says those who used to have a lot of food and were and were rich, now they have nothing. And they're going to work so they can find bread. And the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has born seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. She's saying that the number seven represents completion. By the way, she hasn't had any children yet. Later on, she will have. But she said, those who are barren, now they have what? Completion. She's not talking about physical children and physical hunger. She's talking about those who are spiritually hungry. God has given them. Those who were, thought they were fruitless and kept begging God and praying to God, now they became fruitful. And those who thought they had many fruits, they became empty. Because God says you have received your reward on earth. Where are the people that pray like Hannah? The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. She says, I have discovered that God is in control of everything. Everything in his hands. One of the things, um, as I'm think, reading this, this prayer, came to my mind, especially with verse 8. I'm going to read verse 8 and I'll tell you what I'm thinking. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up, lifts up the beggar from the ash heap to set them among the princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. What is she saying? She's saying, I am a beggar. I am dust, I am poor, I am hungry, and God have worked and brought me up. What a beautiful prayer of a humble heart. 
God raises the poor from the dust and the beggar from the ash heap. She tells him, you, you left me from the greatest moment of sadness. This is a heart that is, that is praying and thanking God with a person who knows who she is, the reality of her case. The reality of, a, of her case. For the pillar of the earth are the Lord's. Obviously in the old days they thought the earth is controlled by pillars. She says, God stabilizes the pillars he also gives the faithful protective stability. If you are faithful to God, He will give you stability. Stability in your peace, in your joy. When you're sick, when you're ill, when you have issues, you're still full of peace and joy. Nothing can shake you. Because inside is a paradise. Inside your heart is a paradise. The Lord will guard the feet of his saints. God will protect the faithful ones. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness. By the way, the, the, when she talks about darkness, she's speaking about the hour of death. She's saying the wicked, the sinful, there's a lot of despair and anxiety at the hour of death. For by strength, no man shall prevail. No one can win by their own ability. No one can win by their own ability. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The word here, adversaries, actually in Hebrew, has a legal contentation to it. It means somebody legally opposes you or legally has a case against you. So saying the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces. Anybody who thinks they have a case against God or they can blame God, they'll be broken into pieces. It means you're going to have no evidence. If you search enough, you'll find that all what you're talking about is not true. They're all lies. And then because she was in the depth of her prayer, until now, by the way, Israel has no king. The only judges. Eli is a judge considered. She said, and he will give his strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She started prophesying about the future. Little she knows that her own son will be part of that future. What kind of prayer is this? A prayer that comes from a humble heart, a prayer that is driven by the Holy Spirit, that makes the person feels what? Feels they can talk about the work of God and the life of humanity. None of this, none, yeah, all this prayer, she has not mentioned Panina once. She had not thanked God, she had not talked about Samuel once. 
Thank you, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's why I usually am not a big fan when people just stand and tell God, thank you for the car, thank you for... All fine. But God is there. That's huge. I leave God and thank Him for a car or a, or a house. Thank you for you. You dwell inside me. You give me life. You allow me to live in a time that's wonderful. The children of God, their heart they should be full of joy from what God has given us. What God has given us. This is the end of Hannah's prayer, one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So Samuel started to serve. He's almost like a young priest, serve, serving God under the, the direction of Eli the priest. Okay? Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. You see, what a big switch from a heavenly prayer and a beautiful family of Alkana and Hannah and Samuel and a prayer in the temple and joy and excitement to a very sad, poor family. One that is priestly family, the sad, poor family, and the happy family is a regular family. The Bible is making a contrast between those who think they are holy and those who truly feel they are hungry for God. They're hungry for God. The Bible said the children, the, the children of Eli did not know God. A better translation, they had no regard for God. What does it mean they had no regard for God? Who cares? Who believed this stuff? What's the big deal? If you break your fast on Wednesday, so what's the big deal? What's the big deal if, you know, like you come late to liturgy? What's the big deal if you don't confess? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? They had no regard for God. And that's why the Bible says what? They were corrupt. Their knowledge of God was superficial. Their knowledge of God was superficial. They thought, what's the big deal? Oh, you bring, me, you bring me a lamb and you burn it. All this stuff, all this nonsense. Who cares? Just give me the meat, I'll eat it, and we'll give the rest to God. Don't make a big deal out of it. That's basically what they thought. They had no respect. No understanding. No desire to get deep into with God. Well, said, verse 13, All the priest custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest servant would come with a three-branched fish hook in his hands while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into a pan or kettle or a cardlin or a pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in shallow to all the Israelites who came there. So basically the Bible is just explaining what happens. When somebody brings a sacrifice, basically the priest has the right to eat part of the sacrifice. 
It's the way that God arranged it because the priest is serving in the temple. Okay? So people, there's different sacrifices in the Old Testament. Part of the, some sacrifices the priest can eat from and some sacrifices the person who offered the sacrifice can also eat from. So basically what they do is once they bring the sacrifice and burn the fat or boil it, the priest servants will come with a hook that has three branches and basically grabs a piece of meat and whatever comes goes for the priest. Also before they burn the fat, the priest servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. So the, the law is you have to boil the meat first before you offer it to the priest. Why? Because most likely God wants you to eat the meat day by day, daily, daily. God provides for the priest day by day. Don't worry about making a business for yourself. Why does the priest want to draw? He can sell it, he can make money. They can take the, the best part that they like. For they changing the purpose that God made it for. Imagine the first word that the Bible talks about uh, in first Samuel, the priest spoke, he doesn't give me meat for roasting. The first word that comes out of their mouth. Imagine the people going to the temple. How do they feel? That in Leviticus 3, 5, it says the aroma pleasing to God. It comes out of the fact they have changed the sacrifice. They caused people to stumble. They caused people to stumble. And if the man said to him, imagine a worship says to the, to the servants of the priest, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. How awful is that? How awful is it when I start coming to church, serving in the church, and initially feel I don't deserve to serve in the church, and after time, I feel like I have a place in the church, a position in the church. And I start treating people so poorly, so badly. To the point that people feel they don't belong. I remember, and I mentioned this before, I remember one time a person came and told me, Abuna, people in the church are very nice, very welcoming. But it stops at this point. They say, hi, welcome you, and that's it. They never take you in. You never become part of them, part of their community. And even those who are at some point felt lifted out, when they have a group, when they have a connection, they leave other people out. God says this is not what it's meant to be. Now we see people coming to church and talking and texting and using their phones in the church. You do not know God. You're belittling the house of God. Where are the people who stand in church in silence and pray and worship? God says, you do not know me. Who are 
be very honest with you, who are the people who are more careless in the church? The people who come to church more often. The people who are used to the altar. The people who go in and out. Those are the people that speak loudly. They joke. They use their phones. God says, for they had no regard for the Lord. And they use force. It's always my favorite thing when a deacon, and a deacon talks, but if he sees a young kid talking, they yell at him. And they were just talking. Therefore, the Bible says, therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Wow. This attitude made people don't want to come to the temple and pray. And by the way, this verse, the word Yahweh is repeated twice. God knew that these priests were not good, these deacons are not good, these servants are not good, but he waited. He waited. Gave them, giving them a chance. Giving them a chance. Maybe they will repent. Maybe they will change their mind. Allowing people, strangers, to come and talk to them. Please stop this. This is not right. But at some point, God was very, very unhappy with him. And as you see, the, the, the scripture writing, the two stories woven together to make the comparison between the house of a priest and the house of a layman. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen, basically a linen garment. And this linen garment, the high priest used to wear it under, under their tunic. So basically, Samuel was a little priest. Look at this. Where is Samuel? Samuel is in the temple. Who's around him? Those evil priests. The bad. Who's, who's his role model? Who's he learning from? Who's teaching him? You come to me and tell me, Abuna, I have a lot of peer pressure in school. You have a lot of peer pressure at school, but you come to church. You find servants or parents or somebody helping you to get close to God. What about Eli? He is in the church and the church is, is difficult for him. But he still was able to grow in an evil world and become a holy man. Who impacted him? Who guided him? Maybe his mother. Maybe his mother. Look at verse 19. We'll conclude with verse 19. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Almost every year, he will have a, a, a session of confession with his mom. All these things are happening. What would you want me to do? Imagine the advice that his mom would give him at a very young age. 
and he would have one robe per year. It reminds me of Abuna Yusuf and Antoni. He used to have one one garment per year, and when he takes it when he takes it uh, he takes it off, he puts on the new one, and then he goes into a water a water uh, well. Will will rip off the old one from under it. Almost one garment per year. He lived a life of asceticism from a very young age. We're going to stop here and next week we will continue and see the rest of the story that happened with Eli and his family and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.